0: Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Healthier Together podcast. I'm your host, Liz Moody, and I'm a cookbook author and longtime journalist. This podcast is all about helping you live your healthiest, happiest life, whether that's through mindset shifts or gut health hacks or products to make your skin glow or advice to build better friendships or bigger bank accounts, we cover it all. I am so excited to be kicking off 2022 with a topic that's relevant no matter what your goals for the year are, productivity. I am literally obsessed with this conversation. It's filled with the actionable hacks and super pragmatic advice that I know that we all love, but it's also a broader, more philosophical take on what the point of productivity actually is, what we're trying to achieve by being productive, and what a good life looks like. My guest today is the incredible Chris Bailey, the best-selling author of The Productivity Project and Hyper Focus, and the host of the Time and Attention podcast. I personally picked up The Productivity Project like a year or so ago after a CEO that I admire recommended it, and it is truly one of the best productivity books that I have ever read. And I know that it's a go-to for many of the most successful people that I know. Chris is also just an incredibly thoughtful and kind and lovely human to talk to. On this episode, he shares how to build a better morning routine how to balance prioritizing what you want to do every day with what you have to do every day, how your self-talk is hurting your productivity and how to change it, the best time of day to wake up for optimal productivity, the number one habit you should incorporate to be more productive, the seven causes of procrastination and how to overcome each of them, his thoughts on time blocking and other popular productivity hacks, and so much more. I love this conversation so much. I promise that it won't make you feel pressured to like get more done or stress out. It's actually incredibly calming and clarifying and filled with tools and approaches that you can use right now to create exactly the life that you want. I would love to hear what's resonating as you're listening. What are you going to try out? What did you learn? So screenshot and tag me. I am at Liz Moody and Chris is at Chris Bailey off, like author, like at C-H-R-I-S-B-A-I-L-E-Y-A-U-T-H. And if you are new here, Welcome. I am so glad to have you as part of the family. Be sure to subscribe on whatever podcast app that you're listening on so you don't miss any future episodes because we have such good ones coming up, including an Ask the Doctor burnout edition and an amazing episode all about hacking your blood sugar to optimize your gut and hormone health, energy, and more. All right. Without further ado, here is Chris all about productivity. All right, Chris, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. I was already complimenting you on your amazing singing voice, but I'm excited to hear it speaking as well.
1: Oh, should we do a sing-song interview or would we lose absolutely everybody?
0: (laughs) I think if I sang, we would lose everybody, but um, your voice sounded so lovely. Um,
1: Soporific, dulcet. Tones. Are, are you? Are you a singer? Do you no, sing in the chat? No.
0: No, I sing. In the, I love singing. I think it's one of. I actually think that it's hard to be unhappy while you're singing. Like I've said, if you're having, I struggle with anxiety, and if you're having like a panic attack or something like that, honestly, if you put on a song you love and sing to it, it helps so much. But it doesn't help those around me. I would say
1: no. It it <laughs> makes them more anxious because you are singing
0: more yeah. anxious. Yes. <laughs> Can you start us off just by giving a quick introduction into kind of like who you are? I'll obviously introduce you, but I love hearing from people in their own words.
1: Yeah, I always uh, I always struggle to explain what I do, but I, I write books on productivity. There, there are some people who have normal interests, like, I don't know, being a, a nomad, cooking and doing all this stuff. My, my interest that's always followed me wherever I've gone. Has been that of productivity, which, you know, a lot of people hear the word productivity. And what comes to mind is something cold and corporate and all about efficiency and effectiveness, whatever those terms actually mean. You ask everybody and they say something different. But I, I just see it as living with intention and working with intention and having intention drive the lives that we live, regardless of the context that we're in. And when when you define productivity as just accomplishing what we set out to, it works in every context of our life. It works if we're trying to work. And it works if we're, you know, on a beach sipping a couple pina coladas. If that's our intention for the day and then we do so, I would argue that we're perfectly productive. But I guess you could say I study the science of productivity and intention and try to bridge that science uh with how we can act and work and live a bit differently. Uh, each and every day to get more done of what we want.
0: I love that take. And I was going to ask what you thought the point of productivity was, because it does feel like we, we live in a society that sort of worships productivity for the sake of itself. And I think that it's, we're almost like productivity obsessed, but I love the idea that productivity is living out any part of your life in the way that you want, living with intention in that. Did it take some work to be able to shift from just seeing productivity as like accomplishing tasks for work to having that beach sipping thing be part of productivity?
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. It's, and this, I kind of started on the opposite side of things. I started from the corporate world and, uh, I worked at you know Nokia for a number of years, the government for a number of years, uh, seeing what productivity looked like in those kind of contexts, and I thought, where where's the the meaning in just getting more things done uh, as opposed to the right things done? And I, I love I love how you're asking that off the top because productivity is kind of a default value almost that we tend to adopt. You know, the world tells us in some way or another, whether it's our upbringing, whether it's uh, through media, whatever, uh, that we need to make more money, that we need to become fitter, that we need to uh, become more active, that we need to become more productive. And we say, oh, yeah, productivity, that sounds great, uh, without thinking, okay, what is actually the point of this endeavor into this realm of productivity? Uh, So yeah, I'm happy you asked that off the top. I personally think that people are the reason for productivity. Uh, You know, if if you woke up and you were the only person left on the face of the planet tomorrow morning, it wouldn't matter how many things you got done uh, if you had nobody to share the fruits of that productivity with. Uh, We kind of need that North Star, whether that's living uh, a life more full of meaning, whether that's living in a way that we have more freedom to spend our time, our attention, our energy as we please, or whether that's more time for the beach, whatever it happens to be. Uh, I think having a point for productivity um, is is so critical. For me, it's people. And I think for a lot of people, it it is too.
0: With productivity being able to apply to anything and you kind of having to get clear every day on what you value and what you want to be productive in terms of, do you have any advice for deciding that and for creating sort of a hierarchy of what you do want to accomplish on any given day?
1: That's a good uh, idea to think about. Uh, you know, in terms of prioritizing every day, one, one of my favorite rituals uh, is called the rule of three. Uh, and it goes like this. And the wonderful thing, uh, you know, this episode's coming out in, in, at the beginning of the year, I know. And the wonderful thing about this rule is that it applies across any time scale that you can possibly think of. But essentially, on a daily basis, the rule of three goes like this. Um, At the start of the day, you fast forward to the end of the day in your head and you ask yourself, by the time this day is done, what three main things will I want to have accomplished? And that's it. You know, you work on other things too, but it's this simple intention-setting ritual to kick off every day. And if you love the rule on a daily basis, you might find that you want to adopt it every week as well and after that you might want to adopt it in general what three things do i want to have accomplished by the end of the year and the wonderful thing about this rule is it's it's so hard to remember what's important throughout the day as we go about our daily lives you know it's great to say that productivity is all about intentionality and living a deliberate life but then then you open up your email and then your email kind of decides what where you need to go on a given day. But rules like this, they kind of help tilt the scale a little bit. They help us put pressure uh, on the other side of things to decide what we actually want to do, what we actually want to accomplish and use our time, our attention, our energy for, uh, so that we can work more deliberately and, and consider our limits every day in terms of how much time and energy uh, we even have. And I, I love simple rules like this that only take a minute. And it works because it fits with the way that we think. Uh, So we used to think that people could hold five, six, seven, eight pieces of information in our mind at once. Uh, But the latest research shows that it's around three things. And if you look to the world around us, you see that examples of this just abound. Uh, We have sayings like, You know, good things come in threes and the third time's the charm and blood, sweat and tears and the good, the bad, the ugly. There's the rule of threes in writing. There's the three little bears, the three blind mice, the three little pigs, the three musketeers, the three wise The the list goes on and on and on. Uh, But I I think that's kind of an example of good productivity advice because it fits with the way that we think, but yet it's this practical thing that we can do uh, every day.
0: I also love that if you extrapolate it out even further, you could be like, what are the three things that I want to accomplish in my life as Mm. like on my deathbed? And that can give you a nice sense of perspective overall, you know?
1: Yeah, it helps minimize regret.
0: Our next partner has a product that I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 by Athletic Greens maybe five years ago because I was traveling a lot and I wanted an alternative to green smoothies when I was on the go. I actually don't think that I've taken a trip without it since because it makes such a difference with travel constipation. I went from having constant gut problems on trips to being able to poop regularly and also still feeling energized, even though when I travel, I'm usually mainlining croissants like five times a day. The energy element is the main reason I started to bring it into my daily life. As I'm sure you're very sick of hearing me say, I don't drink coffee or any type of caffeinated tea in the morning. It just messes with my anxiety too much and it makes me feel jittery and then crashy later. Now, when I feel sluggish in the morning, I mix a scoop of AG1 into water and chug it down. It's honestly like instant energy. And unlike caffeine, it's real energy that comes from flooding your body with nutrients, not stealing from your adrenals. So there's no jitters, no crash, nothing. Just this feeling of like, vim and vigor and being ready to take on the day. AG1 has 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens that were specifically selected to support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. And maybe even more importantly, they actually use clinically researched amounts of everything they include. So you're actually getting the studied benefits. I checked on that because a lot of times, even if it actually says something on the package, it's like such a tiny pinch that it's basically just marketing. It also has less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, and no artificial anything. And they're third-party tested, which is always so important to look for. I know you're going to ask how it tastes, and I'm going to be honest, I actually love it. It tastes a little sweet, a little grassy, and really bright and fresh. I'd say it's like a really good green juice. I've also come to crave the flavor simply because I associate it with making me feel so good. I've basically Pavloved myself. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash healthier together. I love the travel packs. I keep one with me at pretty much all times and the vitamin D3 and K2 is amazing. You actually want to make sure that you look for K2 with your D3 because the K2 helps the D transport calcium to your bones where it's needed rather than calcifying in your arteries. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash healthier together to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Now, let's get back to the episode. But I am curious for anybody listening and who they, they think, well, I have so many things I have to do every day. And so I have more than three things that I would not choose to do, but I literally have to do keep my household running because my boss says that I have to, to keep my kids alive anything like that. So how do you balance the get-tos with the have-tos?
1: Mm, I, I like that framing. Yeah, if you did three things all day, every day, you probably wouldn't have a job or a life after a period of time because because there is the minutiae to keep up with every day. But I, I think this speaks to the value of a morning intention-setting ritual. I, I like to sit down with a, a cup of green tea and a notepad and just write these three three things out. And it really helps you decide what is most important on a given day. There's always the minutiae. There's always the little things to keep up with. We have to play the role of the traffic cop, the air traffic controller, the firefighter. Use use the analogy that you want. But what I personally do with that, and you know, this is where productivity becomes more of an art than a science. It'd be great if we all had total freedom and flexibility every day uh, with how we spend our time. But Productivity, more often than not, is a process of understanding our constraints. And so that's, that's the wonderful part about this ritual is you can think at the start of the day, okay, how constrained is my time going to be today? How many Zoom meetings am I going to have to hop on? Uh, how constrained is my attention today? You know, Am I anxious today? Is that going to take away how much focus I have? Uh, how constrained is my energy today? Do I have less energy because I had a bunch of drinks last night? Do I have more energy because I haven't had a cup of coffee in a while, but I had one this morning and I'm ready to go? You know, we can kind of account for the constraints. And I think that speaks to another important rule of productivity, which, you know, not only is it about intention, but it's also about awareness. Uh, I don't know that it is possible to become more productive without also becoming more aware of the circumstances of our day, uh, the circumstances of our attention, of our life, uh, and w- we can get there by looking at our constraints. So, you know, no perfect solution, I guess. There's always the minutiae, but we we can use the minutia to uh, inform the intentions that we set. And by the way, the intentions that we set, if they really were the most important things at the beginning of our day uh, when those emergencies do arise when we do open up our email box and find the the five you know emergencies the fires that we need to put out on a given morning we can say wait a second why don't i just cross compare those emergencies with the three intentions that i set at the beginning of the day maybe i need to swap out one of these uh goals for the day with an emergency that arose or maybe That emergency that was deemed an emergency as a a threat by your mind is less of an emergency and and more of just something that that feels uh, more important than it is. Does that make sense?
0: It does make sense. So, how did? Can you talk me through what an actual like intention setting in the morning is? That just doing the rule of three and kind of analyzing that, or is there something beyond that?
1: Yeah, okay. You know, and, and this. Yeah, and that's something I think is that's critical to remember about productivity is you know it, it's one thing to you know want to become more productive and and invest in productivity advice, but for every minute we spend on on productivity advice, we have to make that time back and then some. Totally. And so, so the best rules, you know, they don't involve like organizing things for five or six hours every day and getting two hours of work done after the fact. They're lightweight, they're agile. Uh, so for me, it, it just looks like making a i i i have this. I, I won't get into it. I, I promise. Uh, but I have this nice matcha uh, tea ritual where I have a nice matcha tea that's um, sourced by a local tea sommelier. It sounds fancier than it than it is. I I sound like like Fraser Crane right now. I realize, but I like sift the matcha. You know, I get the whisk out. Oh, it's lovely. And I think about the day that lies ahead. This is before I open up my inbox because if I did that beforehand, I would have no patience or or calm left to prioritize. And so I think we need to uh, start our days in a slow way. Then I, I mean our work days, kind of the container of time each day uh, within where we work. But I make that cup of matcha. I think about the day a little bit. That takes a few minutes, but I just make sure I don't listen to a podcast or Or an audiobook at the same time. No offense, if maybe somebody's even doing this right now, you know, preparing their a coffee and or matcha uh, with this podcast. So no offense if that's your ritual, but I I find that slow mornings lead to deliberate days, and so I, I like to start with that cup of matcha. Then I sit down with a a notepad, and a sheet of paper, because analog is nice. Analog is calm. It's friendly. Um, and it can sit on your desk all day as the windows of your computer move around if you happen to do digital work. And I write down my three intentions that day. And I also write below that all the minutia that I have to keep up with, the, the people I need to uh, get in contact with, the things I need to write, the things I need to ship, the things that are less important, but still have got to get done.
0: And how specific are your intentions? Could you give me an example of like your intentions for today?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So number one is to edit two chapters of a book <laughs> that, that I'm working on. Uh, number two is to write 500 words. And number three is to have fun in a few interviews that I happen to be doing today. Um, and, and so with those intentions is the attitude of the interviews. It's the mm. output of the writing. And it's the uh, scale and scope of the editing, and but by the way, when, when you start doing this this ritual, you're not going to be good at it, as I found <laughs> firsthand. And so don't like don't beat yourself up or anything like that. Uh, at the start, I I would set an intention to say like write a thousand words, and I'd end up writing 500. And so the next day I would set an intention because it didn't go well the previous day to write 250 words, and I'd blow past it and write another 500. And it it took me a while, because maybe I'm slower than most, I don't know, uh, to realize that I have about 500, maybe 1,000 words tops in me every day, depending on how many other things I have going on. And so I think that awareness is something that, it's not just something we flick on or off when it comes to our productivity. It's something that we develop as a skill over time to understand our capacity.
0: I love, I love the permission giving to, if you're trying anything new, be like, I'm not going to be great at this at first, and that's okay. I'm not supposed to. I think a lot of people get really discouraged when they're trying new things, when when it just it's not instantly working or instantly making them feel better.
1: Yeah, we have this pattern in our mind where whenever we try something new, we try to talk ourselves out of it almost mm. and pretend that we're not. Good enough, even though we don't know how good we should be yes. at a skill. And I find productivity is the same way. And uh, on some level, and this is something that I found personally that the tough way firsthand is the very idea that you want to become more productive on some level implies that you're not satisfied with where you're at already. Because if you were satisfied, why would you want to become more productive? And that that kind of internal conflict that those ideas created really led to a lot of uh, self-reflection for me of what place does productivity have in my life? What place should it have in my life? And th- it led to a lot of uh, thinking around just the the importance of self-kindness when it comes to productivity. We almost have to, you know, it's the two scale problem as we invest in our productivity we become harder on ourselves it brings these thought patterns out of uh, out of our mind that oh, i should be getting more done than that or why did i only get two of my three things done today or why do i keep procrastinating on this stuff and why do i have no energy and why can't i wake up at 5 30 and why can't i do this or that or or the other thing and it's remarkable, actually, just how much of our self-talk that goes on in our mind is negative. Uh, the best statistics that I've found for this, it's kind of hard to measure what goes on in somebody's head. <laughs> you you have to ask them and do some random random sampling and a bunch of research jujitsu to actually uncover this information in the first place. But the best research that I've found on internal self-talk negativity... Uh, shows that it's around 80% negative, right? That, that's that that's like, holy shit information. Sorry for the cursing. I don't know if you have cursing on this show. We're
0: allowed, especially oh. with information that is this holy shit worthy.
1: Yeah, isn't it? Isn't it? Like 80% is, it, it, it's like, I can't do this. I shouldn't do this. I won't be able to do this. And I started getting this internal self-talk after I got my first book deal a long while back, Um, or at least this is when I became aware of it. I'm sure I was getting it well uh, previous to this point, too. But I remember the first thing that crossed my mind. It was after I had embarked on a year-long productivity experiment to, to get to the bottom of productivity device, try to filter out the stuff that works from the stuff that does not. just that That's what I do. That, that's the approach that I take. And I, I remember collecting all this advice that worked and putting it together into something that vaguely resembled a book. And I got a book deal with the publisher that was on my dream list. It was with Penguin Random House. And I remember the first thing that passed through my mind at the time was, you know, you're a fraud. You have no reason to write this book. Why should people listen to you? even though I'd kind of done the work up to that point to collect that advice. And that got me curious, you know, what other pieces of self-talk that's so negative have passed through my mind? And there's constant, constant negative a chatter that passes through our mind. Things like, why does it take me forever to get stuff like this? Why am I so hard on myself? Just these patterns of negativity in our mind. And the research shows 80% negative. And the place it comes from, I, I did not expect, but it makes a lot of sense, is our upbringing. So when a parent talks to their kid, uh, it, it turns out that it's it's constructive negativity. You know, put that down or stop eating that, Chris, <laughs> things like that. Um, 85% of parental self-talk has that negative bent to it, even though it's this constructive Negativity. And so we begin to to talk to ourselves that way as well. And I think this is something so critical to keep in mind, especially these days. We tell ourselves stories like, oh, everybody's getting so fit in COVID. Like, have you seen Jack or whatever? Like, oh, they're just so like a wall of muscle now. Like, why, why am I gaining 20 pounds? But you know, we have this. The, this internal self talk that goes on, uh, especially as we compare ourselves to others, uh, that I think, again, it goes back to that awareness idea. We just need to bring some attention to it.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask because you are somebody who tests and tries all these different hacks for dealing with stuff. If you have something concrete that you found is really useful for dealing with negative self talk,
1: mm, meditation, I find is. I would say almost essential to practice during more anxious times. Um, because the truth is, you know, when when anxiety is kind of in the room, you know, anxiety is definitely permeating its way around the world, especially around news checks and anxiety is, is socially contagious as well. So if we hang around other people who happen to feel anxious, our odds of Uh, becoming more anxious and adopting anxious thought patterns as well goes through the roof. And we can't really change how we think without becoming more aware of the thought patterns taking place in our mind to begin with. And meditation is a whole process of stepping back from the thought patterns in our mind. You know, you just basically sit somewhere and you focus on your breath. And when your mind wanders to focus on something else, you bring it back to your breath while noticing that it wandered. And that that very act of noticing that your mind has wandered makes you aware that your mind has wandered. And in the process, it makes you aware of where your mind has wandered to. And it's this process of, of bringing intention into the moment. We think we have a lot of control over our mind, right? but <laughs> like we we think we can get it to do stuff, but yet we procrastinate a lot. And yet when we try to focus on our breath during a meditation session, uh, we become so hard on ourselves when our mind is wandering. Uh, we become like so so negative, like, oh, why can't I even focus on my breath for, for 30 seconds here? But that process of stepping back from the thoughts in your head and training your mind to notice the patterns of thoughts that just happened Automatically in your mind, uh, in response to what happens around you, most of which are conditioned from the lives that we've lived and the patterns and and routines and habits that we've adopted. Meditation helps us step back from all of those and become aware of them, and you know, learn to be able to to challenge them uh, on some level and think, oh, wait, that that thought just kind of like came up in my mind. Where did that come from? And it probably came from some external cue. It probably came from some conditioned element of our past that we no longer want to be present in our mind. And so, uh, you know, not to get all hippy dippy on the podcast here, but I personally love meditation. I've had a a thirty minute meditation ritual for a long, uh, for for many years now, just because of how much more present and engaged, and I, I think actually. Also for the topic of the episode, productive, it makes me because it leads our mind to wander less. We bring more attention to what's in front of us and productivity in the moment is about presence and nothing makes us more present than meditation.
0: I get asked constantly about my favorite protein powders because quite frankly, it can be really hard to find ones that have great ingredients and actually taste good. Using protein in green smoothies is key. Protein is the most satiating macronutrient. So making sure there's a good amount of protein in your smoothies is the best way to avoid that mid-morning crash and make sure that you are full and happy through lunchtime. I've tried pretty much every protein powder on the market and there are only a few that I like enough to keep stocked in my kitchen to use in all of my green smoothies. And I am so excited to introduce you to one of them today. Meet Clean Lean Protein by New These protein powders have some of the best ingredient lists that I have ever seen with no allergens, gums, or emulsifiers. It's a pea protein base, but they use this crazy patented chemical-free technique to make the protein highly digestible. It's actually got a 98% digestibility rating, which is way higher than most protein powders on the market. That means that all of the protein on the label is actually being absorbed and assimilated by your body, which is not always the case. That same process ensures that the texture is super smooth too, so it's not gritty and gross like so many protein powders. It's regularly tested for gluten, soy, dairy, heavy metals, and pesticides, so you can rest assured that you are just getting protein and nothing that can be at all harmful. Currently, I am obsessed with their digestive support line. They have a probiotic vanilla and a probiotic cacao. The vanilla gets its flavor from organic vanilla beans and is lightly sweetened with just a touch of organic coconut sugar. The cacao has just organic coconut sugar and cacao powder, and they both have probiotics and L-glutamine, which is one of my all-time favorite gut health supplements. Basically, if you are looking for a protein that has everything you want and nothing that you don't, NuZest will be your new go-to. They'll taste amazing in all of my smoothie recipes, I promise. And of course, I've got an amazing deal for you. Head over to newsestus slash LizHT and use code LizM for 20% off your order. Again, that's newsest N-U-Z-E-S-T dot U-S slash LizHT and the code is LizM for 20% off your order. I cannot wait for you to try this protein powder. I know you're going to be as obsessed as I am. Now, let's get back to the episode. I think a lot of people would love to have a meditation practice and myself included I have one I go in and out of it and I think that it comes down to some of that stuff we were talking about of the time to do the things that make you more productive and you're talking about your morning routine and I'd love to dive into that a little bit more specifically because I think that's where I run into the biggest issues with time so like I want to put all of these things in my morning routine that I know make me feel really good I want to work out I want to meditate I want to make myself a really healthy breakfast that will start my day off great. But then by the time I'm done with all my morning routine stuff, it's like, you know, noon. And then I (laughs) end up working until 9pm because I haven't left myself enough time to do the work I need for the day. But then when I try to flip it, and I'm like, Oh, I'll work out after work, I'll do these things that make me feel good after work. I'm exhausted. And I just never do it. So I'm curious, how you balance the fact that all of this stuff to do that makes you feel good, that makes you perhaps more productive does legitimately take time and fitting that into your day?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. I remember one of the experiments I've, I've done, I, I like doing these productivity experiments to actually try this advice on for size. And one experiment that I conducted a while back was waking up at 5.30 every morning. And you know, at, in this experiment, to set the stage, like I don't wake up at 5.30. I wake up at like 8, maybe sometimes 9, like following kind of your your schedule, noon to 9 working hours. That's my preferred. But, but I tried to wedge one of these routines into my life. So I woke up at 5.30. I made and drank a coffee. I went to the gym because uh, this was when they were open. I planned my entire day when I worked out. I made a big healthy breakfast. I meditated. I connected to the internet after all of this at 8:15 um i read from 8:15 to 9 and at 9 i began working um and i realized somewhere along the way in this experiment that i absolutely hated this experiment like i could not stand waking up at 5:30 every morning because i had this like se- sepia toned fantasy of what waking up at 5:30 would be like but i i think i was in a similar situation to the one you were in where you know i'd i'd be too tired to socialize because i'd have to go to bed at like 9:30 when the hockey games were on here as i live in canada um and wouldn't have time to hang out with anybody i'd have to go to bed at like a weird early time and didn't really enjoy it whatsoever and if anybody out there anybody is feeling guilt about their wake up time uh you can rest easy there there's been some research i think it was from Till Ronenberg, who is a chronobiologist, where he found that there's no difference in our socioeconomic standing based on what time we wake up at. It's what we do with the hours of our day after we wake up that make the difference in how much money we make, how, my, how successful we are, all, all that stuff. But my my daily routine these days is it's that routine, but like, like shifted a bit, just a few hours, um, you know, from eight to, t- I'll, I'll just, you know, Take yesterday, for an example, 8 to 10. uh, I think I woke up at 8, had a nice breakfast. I worked out because we got this spin bike during COVID, uh, played the piano, um, took a shower, did some creative work in the morning before I had any tea because um, the morning, especially if you're a night owl or if you're anybody, before you have your morning Tea or coffee, that's the best time to do creative work because uh, caffeine kind of narrows your attention in on specific things. Whereas when your mind is a bit tired and a bit, um, bit like less inhibited almost. Yeah. Yeah. It has a similar effect uh, as, you know, having a drink or something. But uh, actually, having a drink is a bit different because while your mind wanders more when you drink, you become less. Aware of where it wanders to, Uh, so we come up with these ideas, we come up with these plans, but our mind is like running off in a field somewhere, and we don't really know where it's going. Um, So yeah, but uh, from from ten to noon uh, yesterday, I worked on my three tasks. I caught up with email, dealt with a few emergencies. I think I had an emergency meeting, Um, and and just kind of I I tried to do focused work all, all day long. Um, while fielding the calls that came in, um, every day, I, I should say, I do have a disconnection ritual from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. It doesn't really matter in, in the morning because, because I wake up. <laughs> I wake up when I'm allowed to connect, but in the evening, it's a lovely way of easing out of one day. And into the next one, and in the morning routine that I have, you know it's it's very much energy rituals because I live in Canada, as I think I've mentioned a few times already, and my mood always dips in the winter, so I need to adjust by working out a bit, uh, sitting in front of my happy light, which is always a good time, and doing a bit more meditation and uh, I think like that golden rule of productivity advice, where we got to make the time that we spend on it back and then some, I think that really does apply to meditation. It might not apply to working out, even though exercise does provide us with energy, clean burning foods, you know, healthy food as as you know, is a wonderful way to, to more energy. But meditation, I think, is one of these rituals where we really do earn back the time that we spend on it, up to a point, obviously, you know if you're on a meditation retreat or something and you do a half an hour of work every day after meditating for seven and a half hours.
0: Oh, it's going to be glorious work. It'll probably be the best work you've ever done in your life.
1: Because you will have reached enlightenment in your work (laughs) life. (laughs) So you'll have nothing to worry about. You'll be super productive. But like, obviously that ratio won't work. But in terms of meditation, I, I think we tend to discount the role that attention has over our productivity. If you're on a deadline, and you have somebody breathing down your metaphorical neck, you're going to get so much more done in that context versus some other context where you just kind of like you don't really have a lot of zoom meetings one day and you have a few loose things that are due next. No, no, if you have a deadline, nothing will make you more motivated or productive than a deadline. Uh, but I think meditation actually comes close because it it leads to the set of conditions that are similar to a deadline. You know, we are able to eschew distractions because we are aware of what's important every moment. We have more focus to bring to what's in front of us because we don't have any patience uh, of mind for for these distractions. Our mind wanders a bit less uh, as well during the day, our mind wanders about 47% of the time. Uh, that includes when we're trying to work, that includes when we're having conversations, that includes when we're listening to podcasts. And so by lowering that percentage, we become more present, we become more engaged. And of course, presence and engagement create productivity. Uh, we become more aware that our mind is going to wander. We become more aware that we're craving a distraction as well. Uh, so I think meditate, you know, I wrote something called an audible original a little while back called how to train your mind. It's free if you're on audible. Um, I promise not to plug my stuff too much, but it's all about the productivity benefits of meditation. And in that I, I make this pretty casual calculation, casual and conservative calculation that for every minute we spend meditating, we make back nine minutes in how much more productive we we can become for these benefits and so much more as well. Uh, so it is one of those. Sorry, long winding answer. Maybe I need to meditate a bit more to give more succinct ones. But that's that's my morning Do you morning meditate ritual. in the
0: morning always?
1: Yeah, I was, that's I was actually the time med- of
0: day that you do it, and you find it's the best to do in the morning.
1: For me, yeah, and you know, I, I would encourage people to kind of take the advice that works for them and leave the rest. But I, I like doing it in the morning, yeah.
0: It reminds me, what you said reminds me of that one experiment you did where you put like artificial time constraints on yourself and then you got way more done because you were artificially like condensing your time.
1: Yeah, the the 90 hour a week one.
0: Yeah, I think, can you speak to that a little bit? Because I do find that that's interesting. It's almost like when parents say to, people are like, oh, how do you fit it all in? And they're like, I don't know. I just like use, you fit your stuff in the time that you have. And if you have forever time, something takes forever, but if you have a very small amount of time, somehow you still manage to fit it in, and I think that's a fascinating concept
1: yeah, yeah, it really is so so that experiment was uh so one for one month, I kind of alternated between working ninety hours one week and then twenty hours the next, then ninety then twenty uh to see the effect that working these just nasty hours these ninety hour weeks had on my productivity, punctuated by these. Luxurious 20 hour weeks. And I found, you know, productivity, we should say, is not about how much we produce. It's not about how busy we are, but it's about how much we are able to accomplish at the end of the day. And more than that, it's about whether or not we're able to accomplish our intentions. And so I found looking through the logs of this experiment, first of all, I felt so much more productive during the 90-hour weeks, as you would expect, because I worked more. And I felt less guilty because I wasn't slacking off like during these 20-hour weeks. But when I was looking through the logs, I realized that I accomplished only a little bit more during the 90-hour weeks than I did during the 20-hour weeks. And I thought like, wait, really? Like, and I kind of went back through the month in my mind. and realized that, yeah, it really is true. Time is less important than we think it is when it comes to our productivity. Like just the example you were giving with, with the busy parent. Um, and if you're a busy parent and the water heater breaks in your house, you're going to find a way to fit that in. It, it just needs to get done in addition to the other things that you have going on. Um, And there's this phenomenon called Parkinson's Law that's often talked about in productivity circles, where it states that our work tends to expand to fit how much time we have available for its completion. And I think this rule perfectly sums up uh, this particular experiment, where I didn't have 90 hours of work to do, and very few of us do, and we tend to overestimate just how much we have on our plate. You know, if somebody says they work 75 hours, usually they actually work about 55 hours. And if somebody works, it says they work 85 hours, usually I think that translates to less than 55 hours. So we tend to overestimate how long we work. But not only that, but our work tends to expand to fit how much time we have for it. And this was one of the first experiments that, that illustrated the importance of not just time with productivity. Like We've always had to manage our time around the schedules of other people, but the importance of energy and productivity, right? Because if you give yourself a deadline for something, like let's say I came up to you and it's a Monday and I said, Liz, you won this all expenses paid spa vacation, but it leaves on Wednesday. So you have to get all of this week's work done in Monday and Tuesday. You would probably feel stressed for those two days, but you'd probably f- also find a way to get most of the week's worth uh, w- work of, of work done uh, in those first two days of the week so you can relax for the rest of the week. And that 20-hour week kind of had that artificial deadline um, effect in a certain way where the work could no longer expand to fit how much time I had for it. Um, and I think this speaks, again, to having awareness when it comes to our work, awareness for how much time, attention, and energy we have, but also for how much we're able to accomplish so we can adjust the tactics that we use on the fly.
0: We love talking about our gut health here on the Healthier Together podcast, which is why I'm so excited to share the life-changing Seed Daily Symbiotic. I actually discovered Seed back when I was working as an editor full time. A bottle came across my desk and I was instantly taken by how cute the green glass packaging is. Then I found out that that packaging was actually refillable so that Seed could share its products as sustainably as possible. And then I actually looked into the research behind Seed and, well, I was blown away. First of all, Seed is not just a probiotic. It is a symbiotic. That means it contains both pre- and probiotics, which is super important. In fact, if you remember my Ask the Doctor Gut Health edition, we talked about how prebiotics are one of the most important and often underlooked components of great gut health. Let me break it down for you. Probiotics are the live bacteria that are so beneficial to our gut health, but prebiotics are the food that those probiotics need to thrive. If you don't have ample prebiotics, the probiotics you're consuming will be undernourished and not be able to help your health in the way that you want. Speaking of your health, there's also a common misconception that probiotics or symbiotics are for people with gut issues, which is so not true. Like yes, the seed symbiotic is amazing for your gut health but your gut health impacts everything in your entire body, your skin, your mental health, your cardiovascular health, your ability to actually assimilate the maximum amount of nutrients from all that healthy food you're eating. Having a happy gut is critical for all of it. It is hard to narrow down everything else that I love about seed. I am extremely particular with my supplements and I don't take many, but seed is just stellar across the board. It's been tested and tested and tested. Seriously, their testing process is bananas to make sure that it has 100% survival through the digestive process, which is so rare. And somehow they do all of that without needing refrigeration, which is very handy. I find that when I have refrigerated probiotics, I just forget about them and they get buried behind like old jars of pasta sauce, whereas I keep these on my bedside table. So I'm reminded to take them every single night. They also contain the 24 strains that are the most scientifically studied to to support your whole body's health. I am obviously passionate about this stuff. Taking care of my gut has been a key part of my own anxiety journey, and Seed has been a vital part of that. So feel free to reach out with any questions. And if you like learning about gut health and how probiotics and prebiotics actually function, I highly recommend heading over to Seed.com. They have a whole educational section that breaks down the science behind your microbiome in some of the easiest to understand ways that I have ever seen. And if you would like to try Seed for yourself and pretty much change your life forever, you can go to Seed.com and use the code LizMoody for 15% off your first month's supply of Seed's daily symbiotic. Again, that's code LizMoody on Seed.com. Now, let's get back to the episode. Just to put a pin in the morning routine conversation, would you say then that It's worth including things in your morning routine that either give you back that greater amount of time, like you said, when we're trying to do something productive before taking time away, we need to get more time back. So something like meditation or things that contribute to your energy, because that's another big thing for productivity, or things that line up with those values and intentions. And if it doesn't fit with one of those categories, then that's probably a good sign it doesn't belong in your morning routine.
1: I think that's a good way of framing it. Yeah, and as it relates to our productivity, I I kind of zoom out to the productivity landscape. And when you look at the helpful strategies out there, the ones that actually allow us to earn back our time, they usually fall into three categories. Um, Out of all the different stuff we can do, these are the most helpful three. Um, They either, either fall into how well we can manage our time how well we can manage our attention or how well we can manage our energy. And so for energy, you know, working out, making a healthy breakfast, getting a proper amount of sleep, having good uh, wind down and startup rituals each day, starting our days slow so we can think more deliberately on a given day. Those are wonderful rituals that help our energy. Uh, For focus, rituals like meditation or going on a morning walk or just doing something to let our mind wander so we can some uh, unearth some of the ideas that are floating around inside of our mind or work wonders uh, for managing our time blocking off certain parts of our day or or prioritizing things with the rule of 3 M- many days i choose to set three personal intentions as as on top of the three work intentions because then that way we can decide just how balanced we want to be and on top of that th- this is obviously all in a work context but I, I totally agree with the word that you used values. What is productivity advice, but guidance to how we can live a life true to who we are and what we value, uh, over time. And so reflecting on how, what we do in the morning contributes to what we deeply value, I think is a critical component too.
0: Okay. Let's talk about procrastination because I would be remiss if we did not For me personally, I think that my biggest reason for procrastination is my perfectionism. Like I think it's a 100% related to the fact that when I am thinking about starting a task, I don't know if I can live up to my own standards with what I complete it as. And so then I just get so in my head about starting it at all. Do you think that's common? And is there an easy solution for that?
1: You would be surprised. Um, the The research that I've shown or, or that I that I've seen on procrastination and perfectionism has actually shown little relationship between the two ideas. When, whenever I encounter the studies like that, I, I make sure to dig into them a little bit and say, "Okay, is is this really as it sounds?" And multiple studies have shown that there's not much of a correlation between. Uh, perfectionism and procrastination, but there are, I think, seven attributes that a task can have that make us more likely to put it off. And usually, those task attributes relate to things that we want to do well uh, and that are challenging. So I'll, I'll try to remember them now live <laughs> on the podcast. Um, but but those those are whether a task is boring. So if a task is boring, you're more likely to put it off. Uh, If a task is frustrating, you're more likely to put it off. Uh, If a task is difficult, you're more likely to put it off. If it lacks personal meaning, and so there's no deep connection that you have with it, you're more likely to put it off. That goes back to the values conversation in the morning. Uh, If it lacks intrinsic rewards, so the process of doing something is not rewarding or gratifying in and of itself. If it's ambiguous, so it's not really clear how you can do something, or if it's unstructured, so there's no clear path to doing a thing, you're more likely to put it off. And so you can look at a task like, what's something you've put off recently?
0: I So like a regular thing that I put off, I mean, honestly, I think all of those apply to a lot of the things I put off because my day doesn't have a lot of structure because I yeah. work for myself. So I have to wake up every day and define what my tasks are for the day. I don't know if I make a video for Instagram, if it's going to perform, I don't have really guidelines on what, makes people love it versus not love it so like all of those things sort of universally apply.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. The 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 example that's coming up in my own life right now is uh bookkeeping. So I've all these receipts from the last year and my accountant keeps bugging me to get on labeling them and stuff, but like a task like that, like if you're self-employed, the the work by its very nature is more uh lacking in and, or uh, lacking in structure, and it's definitely more ambiguous. But something like gathering receipts, man, that's boring, frustrating. It's so oh, boring. It's the worst. Yes. Yeah, so the more of these things that a task has, the more likely we are to put something off. But, but there is a bit of science behind how we can flip these things. Um, w- one way is to just think, okay, how can I make this Enjoyable for myself, <laughs> so so. If structuring your day is not an enjoyable thing, can you do it in an analog way with um, a sheet of paper and a pen, and maybe you know writing the times of the day down on the left-hand column and drawing a big grid or something? Would that make it more enjoyable? Um, if you're struggling doing bookkeeping, what if you poured yourself a lovely glass of wine in the evening and, and that could kind of smooth the edges of the task and maybe just check your work the next morning. Um, what can you do to make something more fun and the process more engaging and rewarding? Cause that, 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 you know, something that we're putting off, that's usually a sign that something isn't rewarding or fun. And so if you can find a way to make it rewarding or fun, something I, I like to do with my taxes every year, cause that's I. I I hate financial things, in case you can't tell. Um, What what I do is, for every minute I spend on my taxes, I put $1 in a frivolous spending account uh, where, (laughs) and I usually just blow it on takeout because that's my biggest weakness in, in the world, especially over the last two years or so. And that, by itself, as long as I'm focused, I, I get that dollar and it's not a ton of money. And it's probably, let's be honest, take out. I would have bought anyway, um, but it, it, it's a nice motivator to have that uh, structure around the activity. You know, it doesn't matter if an activity is unstructured in and of itself. If you can superimpose a different structure such as that onto it, it, it serves as another motivator. Uh, another one is to shrink resistance which eliminates a lot of the, these triggers at once. And so meditation, I feel I've talked about meditation like half this episode. So please excuse another example that involves meditation. Uh, but let's say you want to get into meditation and you, you set some goal of meditating half an hour every day. There will come a time where you do not want to meditate for half an hour on a given day. Anything else, eh, screw it. Like, I'll do it tomorrow. Well, an alternative to that is shrinking your resistance or, or uncovering, uh, discovering, finding your resist- resistance to a task. And so you might think, okay, do I feel like meditating for half an hour today? No way in hell. Okay, what about 20 minutes? Mm, no. What about 15? No, the thought of it puts me out. Okay, what about 10? No. Five? Yeah, I could do five. and And so that's kind of your resistance. Level to a different, to a certain task. And so you meditate for five minutes and you can keep going past that point if you want, but you don't have to. And this works across anything that you might be procrastinating on or simply defining the very next. Thing for doing that after you find your resistance level. Like, then, can I just
0: clean my it, house for five minutes? Can I just work out for five minutes? Yeah. Making, making it really simple and tangible. And then, you know, we'll likely continue going. But if we don't, that's fine too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You can do anything for five minutes. You could probably do a plank for, well, maybe not a plank. No,
0: I don't think I could. <laughs> <laughs> When I worked as a magazine editor, I wrote more than a thousand articles about turmeric because pretty much all of the doctors that I used as sources kept recommending it or citing it as one of the supplements that they would personally take. Here's the background. Turmeric is one of the most powerful ways to fight inflammation. In a nutshell, there are two types of inflammation, acute and chronic. Acute inflammation can actually be a good thing. It's one of the ways that your body heals and repairs itself. But when that system goes haywire, we get chronic inflammation, which essentially makes your body feel like it's constantly under attack. The vast majority of doctors I work with cite chronic inflammation as one of the root causes of so many of our modern ailments, and research links inflammation with heart disease, diabetes, autoimmune conditions, cancer, arthritis, and gut issues like Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. I am never going to sit around and tell you that a supplement will cure everything that ails you, but if you're looking for a turmeric supplement to help get your inflammation under control, I am extremely impressed with Paleo Valley's. To increase the bioavailability of turmeric, you need to consume it with black pepper, which most people know, and fat, which many people forget about. Paleo Valley's turmeric complex has black pepper and coconut oil to maximize absorption and three other powerful anti-inflammatories, ginger, rosemary, and clove, for a maximum synergistic response. It also has no fillers, binders, or preservatives and is made with all organic ingredients and just a veggie capsule. Finally, it's third-party tested, which is something I always look for in supplements as extra assurance of their quality. I've had my uncle taking this for about three months and he's gone from having debilitating back pain due to an autoimmune condition to being almost completely pain-free. Paleo Valley has a number of other incredibly high-quality food-derived supplements, including a vitamin C that I adore. Vitamin C is my ultimate favorite supplement for skin health, and a Neuro Effect mushroom powder that Zach loves for increasing energy and focus. So definitely explore their website if you'd like to check out the Turmeric Complex, the Vitamin C, the Neuro Effect, or any of Paleo Valley's other amazing products head over to paleovalley.com and use the code Liz M for 15% off. That's paleovalley.com and code Liz M for 15% off your order. And if you have any questions, feel free to hit me up on Instagram. I love chatting about this stuff. Now let's get back to the episode. So that was a few of the things. What about things like the the ambiguity? Is that just a matter of defining the thing that You're supposed to be doing so that you know very clearly what that is?
1: Yeah. It's often more a process of looking at the process instead of the execution of doing something. And so uh, often we need to find the approach to a project before we execute on a project. And so we sit down in front of our email typing up, you know, some draft to somebody without really having a broader. Framework for a project that that email can fit inside of, and if you find that you're just executing all day long and feeling like you're not making progress, you might have to zoom out a little bit and look at the context that those uh, that those tasks fit inside of. And so something that's a- ambiguous just probably hasn't been defined yet, or maybe you haven't done enough research, maybe you haven't talked to enough people, maybe you haven't brainstormed enough on a project. Uh, because you don't yet have clarity. And so however you can get clarity into the broader scope and scale of a project, that's a great way around ambiguity.
0: Well, and that might be a good moment, I'd think for a broader rule of three, like not a daily one, but maybe a weekly or monthly or annual one.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and also a list of projects. Um, So not to give people too many tactics and homework and all that stuff, but well, one of my favorite, uh, things is the weekly review, where I have two. I'll open them now. I've I have two lists, kind of all the projects that are going on in my personal life and in my work life. And so, for personal ones, they include you know o- ongoing things like building a body that I'm proud of, um, getting to a plant based diet, um, saving up for a rental property, getting my VO2 max up to a certain level. These are projects that have kind of in the middle of right now in that context of my life. And there's there's a bunch of them, but having a weekly review to remind yourself of the projects that you're in the middle of uh is immensely immensely helpful. And of course there's the work ones like you know, write the book, do different speaking engagements, record podcasts, all, all that different stuff. And so having that 10,000 foot view of everything that's going on in your life. It might sound daunting and maybe at the beginning when you capture all the different projects that you have going on, a project being anything that has um, an end deliverable where it becomes obvious that the project is completed. Uh, That may sound daunting to review, but it's actually quite refreshing because you review it every week. And if you don't have time for something on a given week, you'll review it at the end of the week. So you can define what you work on the next week while looking at your three uh, yearly goals as well.
0: Well, and it's daunting, but it's even more, I think, daunting or scary to picture you know, I've had those years of my life go by where I'm just like, what did I do this year? <laughs> like, yeah. how did this contribute to my overall larger vision of my own life, whether it was in my relationships or my personal goals or my career or any of that? And I think that's an even scarier prospect than kind of checking in with yourself on a regular basis.
1: Yeah, yeah, it really is. And, and one tactic for that that I personally love to do is keep an accomplishments list. Uh so throughout the there's kind of two levels that I found that a, an accomplishments list works on. There's the weekly level where if you feel like you're treading water and you're not making any progress at all, just write down everything you accomplish. If you want, you can break it down by context of your life, work, home, family. You can break it down by the different roles you have, employee, mother, father, daughter, you know, however you want to think about this. And just write down everything you accomplish, all the milestones you hit, all the things you ship, all the people you help. You will be surprised. You know, there, there's this part of this, our mind that leads us to forget about all the things that we've accomplished. And it's because we focus on the unresolved things. We've, we have this threat mentality where we look around for threats in our environment. And when we find them, we, you know we try to deal with them, and we kind of, on some level, worry them out of existence entirely. Uh, but that, that's not really healthy, you know, when we, when we live such big, busy lives, um, that, the first level of the accomplishments list is the weekly one. The second one is the general one where you capture 10, 15, 20 things throughout the year that you're able to accomplish. And it's such a wonderful, wonderful reminder. That we're usually more productive than we think we are uh, there's this I heard it called productivity uh dysmorphia where the, you know where some some people have some of us have body dysmorphia, where we have this mental image of ourselves that isn't true to who we are physically um there's I've heard it called this body or productivity dysmorphia, where we think we accomplish less than we do. I don't know if the two ideas can even be compared but it's worth reflecting on the fact that you might be more productive than you think you are.
0: I love I love that. I'm going to start doing that for sure. I also think there's we have such negativity bias in so many ways in our lives. We like you said from childhood we're almost trained to accept the more negative comments both intrinsically and extrinsically and I think that's a really beautiful way to just fight that, to build a ritual to to fight that.
1: Yeah, you're doing okay. <laughs> You need to remind yourself, unfortunately, Let's, that we have to remind uh, well, ourselves, but it's
0: not, I mean, I think there can be something really beautiful about being your own biggest cheerleader.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's would, so true.
0: I'd love to speed round a little bit. So oh. you've tried so many productivity hacks. I would love to hear like maybe two or three that have stuck and that you actually do in your daily life that we haven't talked about yet.
1: Mmm, that's that's a good one. Um, I I would say resetting my caffeine tolerance on a regular basis. Um, We we kind of get used to uh, how much caffeine we consume, and sometimes that makes us more anxious than we give it credit for. And so resetting my caffeine tolerance on a regular basis, um, whether it's alternating days without it, is really helpful. And mind-wandering. You know, our, our best ideas come to us when our mind is wandering, whether we're the shower, taking a bath, walking through nature, going for a run, working out, meditating when our mind is thinking, when we want to be focusing on our breath. They rarely come when we're focused. And so mind wandering would be another thing that's worked well. Oh, and hasn't stuck, right? Was that the the other part?
0: No, that has. I would actually actually be curious which ones haven't stuck, like which ones you tried and you even thought at the time, like, this is a good idea. But then over time, you're just like, I'm not going to really do this.
1: Yeah. Well, (laughs) one of them was waking up early. I I think I already talked about that. So I don't know if it counts, but but I I am not a morning person. I I will wake up at like eight, nine, if if I can. That's the perks of being self-employed. I'm basically unemployable because I wake up so late. Um, But I get my best work done at night. Don't let anybody tell you when or how to work if it works well for you. Take the advice that works for you and leave the rest. Um, so, some one one thing that I will men- also mention: a constant struggle for me with productivity is food. Uh, food gives us energy, gives us life. It, it it really makes a big difference in how calm we feel as well when we eat a, a whole food diet, eat real you know food that we cook and not just order from Uber Eats. That's advice that I need to take more often uh, that I sometimes give to to eat better in a way that's conducive to, to strong thinking.
0: Well, and to apply your own hacks to that, you could, um, you know, make it fun. You could put yeah. on a podcast you love, have a glass of wine on a Sunday and make yourself a big batch of healthy, delicious food that you can have ready to go all week long.
1: I will commit to doing that right here, right now.
0: Amazing. What about time blocking? Do you believe in time blocking? Do you think that's effective? And do you think there's a way that we should be doing it that maybe we're not?
1: I think it depends how creative your work is. So, my work is quite creative. And so, I don't time block because I find that creativity happens in the moments between focus um, and scheduling time and trying to focus all day long is a recipe to create work that isn't creative. Um, I I do think that there is some modicum of a healthy balance that can be uh, attained through time blocking, where you time block in the morning or the afternoon, or for a few days throughout the week. But I I personally don't do it. I I like to keep my schedule as loose as humanly possible. That's not always possible in in the era of Zoom calls and, and virtual things all day long. But um uh, I, I find that white space is quite beautiful when it comes to doing work that is creative. But I, I I do recommend it if you have a lot of focus work to do.
0: Do you does that include things like Pomodoro? Like I know a lot of people when they're writing or doing creative work, they like to do the 20 minutes on, I think, and 10 minutes off. Does that do you not do that as well?
1: I usually don't. No. Um what My my piece of advice, if you want to write something, is to get a deadline, however you possibly can, um, because there's all these hacks out there, there's all this advice, there's all these. But the best thing that is possible if you want to write something or if you want to ship something is to get a deadline and get that deadline from somebody that you do not want to let down. Uh, for me, it's my book editor. I, I work with him to just define deadlines for every single chapter how many words I'm writing. I submit progress reports to him and an accountability group that I'm a part of that I don't want to let down. Find a deadline. Go deadline hunting however you possibly can. You don't need hacks often. You just need a deadline.
0: Do you have any favorite apps for helping with productivity?
1: Yeah. I I love the app Things uh, for managing tasks. I love Fantastical for managing all my calendar events i love the i'm just poking around my phone right now Uh, i love the app uh, drafts for capturing ideas throughout the day i love the app streaks um which is if you want to find people in your area to go streaking no it's it's for tracking uh (laughs) it's a habit tracker so you can like keep uh keep a tally on all your habits mine right now are take the probiotics every day vitamin d d sit, sit in front of my happy lamp eat some barberries one of the most underrated berries, in my opinion, and uh, get exercise.
0: I love the idea, too, with habits. And I think you exemplified that really nicely with yours. Sometimes people only do these like big, hard to accomplish habits. And I think it's equally important to have those very low hanging fruit habits on there so that you can have that feeling of accomplishing stuff. Because like you said, we are accomplishing stuff all day long, but it's about flipping how we're defining accomplishment.
1: Yeah. Oh, totally, totally.
0: And then I would love to end on how do you stop being productive? I think that you've devoted, you know, so much of your life to focusing and productivity and all of that. And you still seem to be amazing at like turning off and letting yourself actually relax and not feeling guilty about it. And I think that's a huge thing that I know I personally struggle with and a lot of my listeners do too. So I would love your thoughts on letting go of productivity, particularly in a work sense.
1: Yeah, I, I think you th- need things that you're really into. If you don't have hobbies, what are you going to do outside of work? Are you just going to watch TV or like poker? Like I, I, I'm really into Animal Crossing. Are you into Animal Crossing? I am not. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a great video. It's like the most calming video game in the world. I I love playing the piano. I, you know, I'll, I'll, knitting is a good time. I I'm always down to knit. Um so like having things to turn to that aren't just about output or some end result. Um you know we're always try- trying to think about the opportunity cost of our time and everything that we could be doing instead of what we're currently doing. But I think having things outside of work that aren't just about accomplishment is really critical. One one way that I like to do this is at the beginning of the day I define what I call my productivity hours. And so today, I don't have the app in front of me, but today they're my normal working hours and one or two hours this evening to do a few things around the house. And outside of that, I don't have to worry about productivity. I don't have to worry about what I have to get done. I don't have to worry about email. I don't have some end goal in sight. I just can savor and enjoy things as they unfold. It's, It's a good time.
0: Yeah, I, it's just interesting when you say opportunity cost. That's so resonant with me, though, because it just feels like like I want to do that so badly, but I I feel this strong sense of like, well, somebody else out there is doing something that that gets them ahead more. You could be using this time more efficiently, and future you will appreciate now you. And I don't know, I I it, the missed opportunity cost is hard for me to psychologically come to terms with.
1: Yeah, and and that's where the guilt comes from. We don't feel guilty when we're present, because the guilt that arises with how we spend our time is kind of this um, uncertainty almost of how we've spent our time in the past, and it's very related to I, I think doubt and worry. Where when we feel doubt, we're kind of questioning how we're spending our time in the present, and worry, of course, is is this feeling of discomfort that comes from the future. And I think all of these feelings fill the vacuum that a lack of intentionality leaves when there is an intention behind what we do. And this is something that I've found firsthand. When we decide ahead of time, A, what we're going to work on, B, when we're going to work on it, Like by defining those productivity hours, we know that Productivity hours will come again the next day. There will be time to work. There will be time to get things done in our personal lives too. And we can capture that for later on, but we can rest today. Uh, So, yeah, guilt, doubt, and worry are uh, really informative emotions and they usually connect with that opportunity cost of our time.
0: Mm, That's, yeah, that resonates with me a lot. Mm. Thank you so much. This conversation, honestly, like, I was expecting some good productivity hacks and I definitely got those, but it, it was um a lot more philosophical and about like, I don't know, like what we're on this planet to do than I even expected. And it was really beautiful.
1: Oh, I'm happy. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: Where could people find you if they want to, you know, find your books, find your journey?
1: Yeah. So my books, uh, the first one is called The Productivity Project. My second one is called Hyper Focus. My third one is the Audible original that I already plugged and uh, at the risk of being self-promotion, overly self-promotional, I'll say the name is How to Train Your Mind. Again, uh, my podcast is called Time and Attention. All those are available wherever books and podcasts can be downloaded. And my website is alifeofproductivity.com.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. I hope you loved this episode with Chris. I hope there were lots of little takeaways and tips and tricks that you want to try out in your own life. Please tell me what you're doing. I would love to hear from you and cheer you on. So you can tag me on Instagram. I'm at Liz Moody. Chris is at Chris Bailey auth, like author. Also, if you did love this podcast, I would so appreciate a quick rating or review on whatever podcast platform that you listen on. Spotify actually just added ratings and reviews. So you can do little stars on there. So if you listen on Spotify, I would love a quick rating or review on Spotify. And if you listen on Apple podcasts, I would love a quick rating or review over there. It is one of the best ways to help other people find the podcast, and I so appreciate your support. Of course, if there's anybody in your real life, I feel like we're always focused on like the online and the rating and the review and sharing on Instagram, but if there's anybody in your real life that you think would benefit from the information that we talked about in this podcast today, please share it with them. I love growing the family, both like online and the digital world, but I love picturing you in real life having these conversations and getting healthier together with everybody that's actually around. You day to day. All right, I love you. I am so excited about 2022, and I will see you next Wednesday on the next episode of the Healthier Together podcast. I have been looking for a quality fish oil to take myself and recommend to you for years, and I genuinely couldn't find one that met my quality standards. And then I kept hearing from doctors on the pod about how important it was for our brains and our hearts, even dermatologists who said it makes a huge difference for our skin. And I was like, okay, I truly need to figure this out. Then I found O3 Ultra Pure Fish Oil from Puri. The brand was literally created because the founder ran into the same problem as me. He couldn't find anything truly pure enough to take daily. Puri believes in full transparency with all of their products. Every single batch is third-party tested by the Clean Label Project and IFOS, which tests fish oils looking for the highest quality, safety, and purity standards in the world against more than 200 contaminants, heavy metals, pesticides, glyphosate, dioxins, and bisphenols, to name a few, and they always receive a five out of five-star rating. Every Puri bottle actually comes with a QR code so you can scan and see the results for yourself. This is well above the standards of any other fish oil I've found, which is so important to me because if I am consuming something for my health, I don't want it to actually be causing harm. Puri's fish oil is so fresh, you'll never get any gross fishy burps because every batch is tested to make sure it hasn't oxidized and gone rancid. And yes, that is where those burps come from. Do not just take my word. With Puri, you can find actual data behind every single batch, which makes Puri a supplement brand that you can trust. Right now, Puri is offering my listeners 20% off their O3 Ultra Pure Fish Oil and all of their great products. Go to my special URL, puri.com slash Liz Moody and use my promo code Liz Moody. This even applies to the already discounted subscriptions. You will get almost a third off the price. Go to P-U-O-R-I.com slash L-I-Z M-O-O-D-Y. Do not wait. Use promo code Liz Moody at P-U-O-R-I dot com slash Liz Moody.